They all told me to get a college football podcast, so I did. I'm John Harris, Football Takeover. It's time for Football with Friends. What's going on, everybody? Welcome into episode five of the Football with Friends podcast in partnership with the Texas Bowl. I'm so glad to be with you yet again, and I'd like to think we got a really good show because one of my all-time favorites, one of my good friends, one of the best college football guys you're going to find anywhere is Sean Pendergast of Sports Radio 610 Houston, CBS Sports Radio on a national level. This guy is one of the best I've ever heard. And if Shawnee would not have been in business up until he was in his late 30s and got started in sports radio, when he was like in his mid-20s, when a lot of us, not me, but a lot of people did, I think you'd be talking about one of the most well-known sports talk show hosts across the country. He, I think, is that good. What I found out in 2007 when I started working with him was this son of a buck knows a lot about college football too. And I could talk to him about anything and everything college football-wise, and I thought, you know what? What better way to do football with friends than with one of my good friends talking about anything and everything in college football. And of course, I want to talk about the Domers. They look really, really good thus far. They have just been obliterating teams. The offense has looked very good. Kyron Williams at running back. The offensive line has been good. Could Ian Book be the X factor to get them into a playoff and beyond, maybe to the championship game? So we'll Shawnee on to talk about the Domers. We'll look back have kind of a historic look at football. And I definitely want to talk about the year 2007 because that was our first year together. And it was one of the great years in college football. And if you haven't heard the story of Stanford being a 40-point underdog, winning a game, it's and, and how that impacted us or how maybe we impacted that, uh, it, it's pretty cool. So I was trying to tell that story too because um, it, was, it was an all-timer back in 2007. So uh, Sean's going to join us. I'm going to have my keys to the game. Our biggest game this weekend is going to be Alabama Sands Nick Saban versus Georgia. Game's taking place in Tuscaloosa. And the keys to the game this week brought to you by McGrath Pest Control. My buddy Scott does great work all around the Houston area. You name it. He came down here to Galveston where we have a huge mosquito problem. And I just texted him and said, man, we got this huge mosquito problem, Scott. Is there, is there anything, anybody you know? He goes, have a crew down there on Sunday at noon. Boom. Thing taken care of. We can be outside. No more mosquito bites. It's been uh, really cool uh, to have someone like that. I want you to have that. So our keys to the game brought to you by Scott McGrath this week, Alabama v. Georgia. We're also going to have our SEC draft matchup of the week and our Big 12 draft matchup of the week brought to you by my good friends at the Texas Bowl. So we'll have that later on. And of course, I got to do my predictions for this weekend. Now, I've done some predictions the last few weeks, and those games didn't get played. They got postponed after I recorded the podcast. So hopefully that doesn't change things and do predictions that it doesn't come true because the game never played. But we'll do our best. And this week, we're going to go ACC predictions. Those games in the ACC, we'll pick them straight up and against the spread so you can have that in your trusty little uh, Rolodex so you can go look where you can maybe make some money this weekend off of some of those predictions from the ACC. So we will do all of that. But we're going to kick off the show, this podcast, with a few news and notes. This first one comes courtesy of Nick Saban. 
yesterday as I was driving home, I happened to see the news of Nick Saban and Greg Byrne, athletic director at University of Alabama, both testing positive for COVID. As I got home and turned on the TV, Coach Saban was doing a Zoom meeting to let everybody know what was going on. Steve Sarkeesian will take over in Coach's stead. I would imagine over the next few days they're going to try and get Coach to test negative. Uh, he said he is feeling asymptomatic, and he has been cranking through stuff at home, as his daughter tweeted a little while later. Of course, she said she had permission. But in this weekend's biggest game, you've got Coach Saban more than likely not able to be on the sidelines for it. And that's, you know, you think, ah, look, it's really isn't a big deal. You got offensive coordinator there. You got defensive coordinator still there. Oh, defensive coordinator mm-hmm. struggles against Ole Miss. But either way, not having Coach Saban, what, what's that worth having him on a sideline? Immediately, Vegas started changing lines. Um, I think the latest line that I have seen is I think it moved maybe three or four points. Don't quote me on that, but I know it moved. If I were Vegas, I'd probably take it off the board um, at this point, not exactly knowing what's going to happen. Right now, it's sitting at six, minus six for Alabama. They're a six-point favorite. I feel, man, if it stays at six, I think I might fire a few on Georgia as they bring in Stetson Bennett the fourth. We'll talk about that Alabama-Georgia game uh, a little bit later, but... Coach Saban, the big news, not going to be apparently available for that big one against Georgia. The Big 12 championship last night took place in Conway, South Carolina. Wait, John, hold up, hold up. Big 12 championship, what are you talking about? Yeah, Coastal Carolina played Louisiana. You know, Coastal Carolina went and beat Kansas, and Louisiana beat Iowa State. So, you know, Louisiana State's 3-0. and So if Louisiana beat Iowa State, then they win the Big 12. Didn't these two win the Big 12? Um, okay, maybe not. But they met last night in a tremendous, tremendous ball game. Levi Lewis did everything he could for the Raging Cajuns on the road in a big sunbelt tilt. Levi threw for 173 yards, threw for a touchdown. He ran for 84 yards and a touchdown, but it was not enough. As Louisville, I'm sorry, Louisiana has a lead. Coastal comes back. Ties the ball game up, gets it to 27-27. I'm sorry, gets it to 27-20 on a Grayson McCall run. Elijah Mitchell, great running back, returning uh, from COVID, actually, comes back, scores to tie it at 27, and then Coastal takes a final drive. 40-yard field goal attempt, Massimo Biscardi. Could he give the Chanticleers the win? Snap and hold are good. Biscardi puts a toe into it. And it's right through the uprights. What a play. What a game. No doubt. Heck of a ball game. Coastal knocks off Louisiana from the ranks of the undefeated. But don't look now. But the Chanticleers are 4-0 on the 2020 season with that win. A 30-27 win on Wednesday night football. Coastal Carolina beating Louisiana. All right. That's going to do it for our News and notes, I'm sure there's some other things I could throw in there, but we'll leave it right there with that win for Coastal over Louisiana and get to our interview with our guest for the podcast this week. Football with Friends, in partnership with Texas Bowl, is so glad to have my good friend Sean Pendergast on. If you don't know Sean's story, Sean went to Notre Dame, graduated, got into business, was a, just did a fantastic job in sales, and then in 2007 ended up needing a job. 
And at that point, I had already committed to being at a radio station that was, that was opening and starting in Houston. And so when Sean emailed or texted John Granado and said, hey, man, you hear anything, just let me know. And Granado said, I might have something for you. And in his infinite wisdom, Granado ended up putting two radio newbies together. And Sean Pendergast and I created the Sean and John Show. And the people that listened over the years absolutely loved it. Both of us had bigger and better, well, I should say better, but we had bigger things in our mind because our radio station never really had our, never really had our back for the most part. So we created so many good things and we eventually moved on and went to different areas and we get to see each other and talk to each other a lot because Sean moved over to Sports Radio 610. I moved over to the Texans because that's our flagship station. I get to talk to Sean a lot and it's been great to go back and talk about some of the things that we did in the past talk about the Texans, talk about football. This is about college football. Because we started our show in 2007. We started a thing called College Football Wednesday. And it was fantastic. People loved it. We talked to um, experts and insiders from all the different teams. We were, I think we did it for about a year or two. And then we had Jim Ross join us to give us the Oklahoma side of things. And it was always a show I look forward to because of my love for college football. But what I found out is Sean Pendergast had a love for college football as well. And we hit it off, I think, because of that. Also because Sean's a tremendous dude. And he and I really put together, I thought, a really good radio show, especially as it pertained to college football. And I thought, what better guy to have on this show, on this podcast called Football with Friends, a partnership with the Texas Bowl, than a guy who I think is maybe the best in the business. And I'm not talking about just Houston. I'm talking about everywhere. I mean, you can take every host in this nation, and you're not going to find one that can uh, have pop culture references, insider football knowledge, does great interviews, um, is funnier than all get out, can do impressions. I mean, Sean could do it all. And I'm telling you, had he started back in his early 20s and that was the path he took, we'd be watching Sean or listening to Sean on national radio all across this country. There wouldn't be a Jim Rome because there would be a Sean Pendergast. And I know a lot of people are like, well, Shawnee was on the Jim Rome. No, Shawnee would have been that guy because he is absolutely fantastic. So, Football with Friends, in partnership with the Texas Bowl, this week, it's my good pal, Sean Pendergast. And we obviously have to start with Notre Dame, and we will do that right here. Shawnee, this year, you know, college football is kind of all over the map. Um, we haven't even got the Big Ten or the Pac-12 or the MAC or Mountain West. We haven't got all those teams involved. However... Notre Dame looks pretty darn good. If you were to factor in Ohio State at full strength, whatever that might be, maybe Penn State, and what we have going on in college football, where do you think Notre Dame sort of falls in that mix? I know you being a domer, I know you can speak about them without bias. Where do you see them? Because to me, they look like they've got every piece to maybe make a run through this playoff. Yeah, I, Johnny, I think better than I thought it would have been before the season started because as we're, as we're finding out early on here in the season, I think some of the usual powerhouses do have some flaws. You know, you can see why Ohio State wants to come back and play football so badly. You know, yeah. I mean, Alabama doesn't look yeah. like normal Alabama and, uh, you know, LSU's off the grid now this year and, and Georgia's got their issues at quarterback and so forth. And so, uh, but as far as Notre Dame goes, um, I think the schedule really helps them out greatly. You know, they're playing an all-ACC schedule other yeah. than the one game against South Florida this year. And I think the schedule schedule lines up nicely with just, just enough tests to where 
the, the, the resume is valid. They're going to play Clemson in a few weeks. If they're, both teams, are, I think, are going to be undefeated going into that game, that's going to be a huge, huge game yep. in early November. Um, but I think, I, I think they're in real good shape. They've managed to replace some playmakers. They're doing it a little differently. You know, the last couple of years, it's been Chase Claypool and Miles Boykin and Cole Komet, you know, a lot of skill guys in the passing game. They've got kind of some new pieces in the passing game this year, um, but they, they run the football real well. And, and Ian Book um, is, uh, you, you know, if, for, it's, it's funny, Johnny, for a guy who's got such a good record, he's got the best record in the history of the school for a starting quarterback. Wow. But yeah, yeah, I think he's 23 and three now. Um, so maybe, I, I think even better than Tony Rice back in the day, because Rice lost four or five games his first year as a starter. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, you know, Ian Book had some trouble last year at times protecting the football. He came out a little bit slow this year in their first game against Duke, I think it was. But he's, he, he's, he's a maestro in that whole Brian Kelly offense. And, um, uh, and I think they've, they've, uh, they've got some playmakers on defense. They've got some real good athletes on the edge. And Kyle Hamilton, guys like that in the secondary. I think they're, I think they're in pretty good shape. I think it lays out nicely for them. Yeah, I think they're uh, as talented as I've seen them. I mean, defensively, Isaiah Foskey, you know, a guy that played out at De La Salle in California where Aaron Taylor went. I mean, they've got talent. I just watch them like, man, they got length, they got size, they got speed. What's the overall thought, Shawnee, amongst you first and the Domers about playing in the ACC this year? Well, I look, uh, it sounds weird to say this about Notre Dame because they're, you know, they've, they've been independent for so long. And they are still one of the powerhouse brands in college football. But, you know, beggars can't be choosers in a way. You know, yeah. like this is like something we've never seen before. And for a while, we didn't even know certain conferences were going to be playing football. You know, when yeah. the Pac-12 and the Big Ten go dark for a little while there, half the schedule gets shut down. I think if they knew that the Big Ten and the Pac-12 were going to ultimately end up playing football and then maybe they'd entertain an out-of-conference game or two, then they might have treated it a little bit differently. But half of college football, and in the Power Five, about half of the Power Five, they were ready to shut it down for the year. So at some point, if you have a team you feel is a playoff caliber team, you got to find a way to put a viable 10-game schedule together. The partnership with the ACC has been a really good one for them overall as a school. All their Olympic sports and, yep. and you know, all their non-football sports are all in the ACC. And I think it's perfect, you know, just for one year. I'm someone who still wants them to maintain their independence. But I think it's just a good enough conference to where you you got a viable schedule. You got a few opponents on there that are that, that are either heavyweights or have heavyweight brands at least. And um, and so I'm okay with it for a year. Like Johnny, I mean, like honestly, can we get worked up about anything this year? Yeah, like yeah, right. as far as no, just absolutely. you know, like you know, like oh, I don't I don't want this or I don't. Want, I mean, how spoiled <laughs> would I sound during a pandemic? And I'm like, no, I want my independence. You know, so I'm cool with it. Yeah, I mean, I always think about. I mean, one of my favorite games, no matter what the records are of the teams. And it's always been one of my favorites has been Notre Dame USC. I mean, that's just, I, I've always loved that game, no matter whether, you know, Charlie Weiss is coaching Notre Dame or, you know, uh, Sean Salisbury is playing quarterback for USC. It doesn't matter what's going on in the game. I just want to see that particular game. And so I was thinking about that. Do you think, Sean, at some point that Notre Dame and Michigan will ever kind of get back on an annual thing? Or is there, is there just too much vitriol between the two to ever kind of get back but let's say that we get through a normal football season at some point yeah. 2021 and beyond you think there's too much vitriol between Michigan and Notre Dame to ever get back on an annual schedule with them I, 
you know, my, maybe Johnny with the people right now, like forever, such a long time, you know what I mean? Yeah, like it's, and, and so, um, so I think it's, I think it's great when both schools play each other. I mean, you know, I mean, you and I are, are in the same age group. I mean, we, we remember that was a staple of week yes, one of absolutely. the college football season. That was a game that kicked off the season. That was the first game of the season every year I was in school there, other than one year when they played in the kickoff classic. Yeah. Um, so it was a staple. Um, so, I mean, I would say never say never, you know, if it's, if it's something where you've got people in charge who are of like mind, like I think Texas A&M and Texas are going to play someday again, you know, you just got to wait it out with some of the people who were involved in the split the first time around. Um, so I, I would, I would like to think so, because that is one thing for me as a longtime Notre Dame fan is there is an element to the school and this is just evolution. You know, now it's got field turf instead of grass. Now they've got a diamond vision screen instead of the manual scoreboard. Like those are all things that you accept as actually enhancing the game day experience. But the schedule is something where, um, you know, you look at it, go, boy, I don't even, and I'm not just saying this year with the ACC, I'm talking about even in a normal year, you look at the schedule, boy, I don't even recognize this compared to what guys like you and I were so used to seeing them come up with. So, yeah, I would like to think so. Michigan, it's going to be hard to get back to, you know, where it was Michigan, Michigan yeah. State, Purdue, yeah. Stanford's on there every year. USC, Navy is never going away because, as you know, the history with that, with that rivalry. So there's so many games that are just non-negotiable, but I would like to think that Michigan could, be, could become one of those games again. I mean, that would be fun. And, you know, Michigan sort of leading in, you know, we'll talk about Notre Dame and what college football has gone through this year. But, you know, it's funny the other day I was driving and, and I thought – I. I listen to you guys every day and I'm staying out in Galveston. So I got like an hour drive in the morning. So I try and plan my drive somewhere on a time that I make sure I get 745 to 815, yeah. 30 minutes of you guys just you know, <laughs> straight through. Right. And I don't know, you just happened, you were, you, well, today you told the story and well, Jim Harbaugh came up and you, I was like, I'm sitting in my car and I'm like, tell the skull story, tell the skull story. And then you did, you told the skull story about Jim Harbaugh. And for those that don't know, Shawnee and I were doing the Paul Bear Bryant awards and we got a chance to interview all the great coaches. And I think it was an 08, 08, maybe 09. I think it was one of, one of those years. I think it was 09. And Jim Harbaugh was one of the coaches. And so we were having a hard time getting him to the event. And so we asked Oliver Luck to make a call. He did. He came. And so it was before kind of all the rest of the interviews. And so Jim Harbaugh comes over. There's not a lot of people there. And he's sitting, you know, he comes and sits down right next to me. You're on my right. He's on my left. And he just says, you know, how much time we have? And you're like, oh, you know, a couple minutes or so. And I look over, and he's got this big can of Skull or Copenhagen, and he's, you know, he's packing it, reaches in, just takes this huge wad of, of snuff and puts it in his lip. And he gets it in, he spits in his Diet Coke can, and you're, like, bringing him into the show. And you're like, Coach, how you doing? He's like, <clears throat> doing great, guys. How we doing? And so I was like – who in the hell was the coach that was going to follow him that had to pick up that mic? Oh, yeah. The funny thing is, like, he was the coach at Stanford. Yeah. Like, of all the schools, like, it's, you know, blue blood, hoity-toity. And he, there he is, two fingers, deep in a can of tin, scooping it out, a big old snowball-sized scoop right there in the front lip. And I'm like, man, you're the coach at Stanford. You're not – you're not the coach at one of the Mississippi schools, man. You know, like it, it, that was, uh, that was, that was football. I mean, they, that was 12, 13 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> Think about Harbaugh's journey since then. Like if we had known then who we had sitting in front of us, that he would be the guy who would, 
take the Niners to the Super Bowl with Colin Kaepernick at quarterback, and now he's at Michigan. And now, now he, he wins at a fairly decent clip at Michigan. And, boy, you'd think that the guy's a scrub because he can't yeah. be Ohio State. It's yeah, just exactly. wild. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I, that, it's funny because after that event, event was over, and a lot of times when we did the Paul Bryan Awards, I would try and find the coaches that we, we talked to, and I would just try and personally thank them real fast and say, hey, yeah. thanks, really appreciate it. So he was walking out with Oliver, and I went up to him and I saw him, and I, I said, Coach Harbaugh, you know, thank you very much for joining us. And Oliver just jumped in. He was like, I'm telling you right now, Coach, he and Shawnee are the two best when it comes to college football in this town. They can talk college football with everybody. I mean, you talk about ego boost. I was just like, and then Harbaugh goes, yeah, I had a good time with you guys, man. Call me anytime. And I just, I was on cloud nine. I was like, yeah, oh, yeah. Yes. And then I've heard all these people talk about, well, you know, Jim Harbaugh is quirky. He's quirky. I'm like, let us talk to him. We'll get, you know, we'll get something out of him. I mean, come yeah, on. yeah. We could absolutely do that. That was back when you and I used to get starstruck. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> now it's like, eh, you know, okay. You're, you know, it's so funny bringing it up because I, you know, people will come to me and, you know, working with the Texans, you do pre and post game for the Texans, like getting the opportunity to even just see Deshaun Watson for some people would be like, oh my God. And I just yeah. see Deshaun Watson going to the bathroom sometimes and I'm going down my studio like, hey, Deshaun, hey, John, what's going on? I mean, you're right. We, we used to, we get to get, used to get starstruck by that. And I think that was always, uh, it was always a neat event because for me, you know, from a coaching standpoint, I come from a coaching family. But the fact that you love college football the way that you do, you and I just ate that event up and we could talk yeah. about and talk to these coaches. I remember you asking Chip Kelly. I know you remember this, right? 2009. Yeah. Played at Boise State. And uh, LeGarrette Blunt punched a Boise State player, yeah. uh, linebacker, who's running his mouth. Yeah. And so an Oregon fan had said something about, I, I spent this kind of money and went to the game. And Chip Kelly sent him a check. And I remember you asked him about that. And he turned to his SID. He turned back and he's like, um, yeah, I've got no comment. <laughs> and he was pretty good the whole time with hey. us except for that one question. He's like, yeah. You know, Johnny, now that you bring that up, by the, by the way, the guy's name was Byron Howe. That was yeah, the name of the Howe that yeah. came up to Little Garib. I don't know why I remember that, but I do. Yeah, number um, 94. That's how I remember it. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and this is, as you bring that up, I'm thinking, I'm going, boy, you know what? I feel almost personally responsible for Chip Kelly. I feel like it was that day that he said, you know what? I'm never going to be in a situation again where someone else is in control of my destiny. I'm going to get Howie Roseman fired in four years. Or not fired, but, you know, pushed upstairs yeah. or whatever. Like, it was that day. He's like, he turned yeah. to the SID, and he had a chance to tell him an entertaining anecdote yeah. and not be Chip Kelly, the quiet, you know, sort of church mouse. And he got shut down by an SID. I like to think it was that day where he said, you know what? I'm never going to have some worm over here yeah. shut me down ever again. You know, it was 2008. I'll never forget 2008 because that might have been from a single night standpoint. If you said to somebody I love college football like you and I, okay, you're going to get one-on-ones for seven to ten minutes with Mike Leach, Matt Brown, um, Barry Switzer, Tom Osborne, uh, Bob Stoops, all those guys. Oh, and by the way, in between – uh, one of your, Mac Brown and Bob yeah. Stoops, you're going to have Jim Ross. <laughs> yeah, yeah, baby. I mean, we had, Sean, we had all those guys on one night, 
Kyle Whittingham from Utah. We had Turner Gill, who had played for um, who had played for Tom Osborne. And Osborne was there because he had won the Lifetime Achievement Award the year before. So he was there to present the Barry Switzer. We had all of that going on crazy. that night in 2008. And I think back to that night sometimes, I'm like, that might have been my favorite night in radio. We got a chance to talk to all of those guys in that one particular night. And Johnny, if I'm not mistaken, I mean, you rattled off all those names. And if I'm not mistaken, did Mark Mangino not win it that night? Didn't, did he, was that the year he won the award or was he that the year before? the year before. All those okay. names that I mentioned, it was Whittingham who won it. That's right. That's right. He beat Alabama in the Sugar Bowl that year. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I thought of all the interviews, you know, each year we'd sit and we'd talk about, okay, which one did you love? Which one, you know, was kind of – we thought Kyle Whittingham was hey, – it was okay. Um, yeah. But that was the night that I became a Mac Brown fan forever. Yeah. Because I remember Mac walking up and talking to us like we were his two old buddies from back in the day at Florida State. Yeah. I mean, it, I, was, I was so just blown away. I turned to you at some point and I said, I get it now. And yeah. you were like you, – you what do you get and I was like I get why he can go into a home and get a kid to come to Texas no questions asked like there would I could see parents just absolutely falling in love with him when he walks up he's just unbelievable now he's doing it again at North Carolina which is just absolutely amazing to see that's incredible that's incredible like that I I thought that when Mac Brown went back to North Carolina I said okay well this is some sort of favor or a cash grab or something like I gave him it, you know, I, hyperbolic here, but I gave him zero chance of success right. there. And I mean, not only is he succeeding there, but he's uh, he's turned into a, he's turned into an, a, an automatic cover from time to time, Johnny. As you know, that those are my favorite kind of coaches. The ones, that, <laughs> who are your favorite coaches? The ones that cover the spread. Those are my favorite ones. <laughs> oh man, that's good. Okay, so about ten years ago, mm-hmm. I think it was like 2010. I just said to you one day before we we're going to a break. And I said, either or, and I followed it up with, like, you know, burgers or hot dogs or something like that, some yeah. crazy-ass thing. And I remember thinking, this might be something. So the next day I was like, hey, you want to do some either ors? And you're like, yes. So I figured, you know what? Let's do some either ors. This is something that we've done for a long time. And it's very simple. I throw out a situation. I give Shawnee the either or options. And I think each one of them just has two options. I don't think I went to three. So I came up with a litany of them, just like free-flowing off the top of my head, put them down. I figured I got to do either or with Sean or the podcast yeah. is incomplete. Okay, all right. good. Ready? Yep. Some domers, some not kind of all over the place here. All okay. right. You get one season to completely, as a fan, go back and relive. 2012 A&M with Johnny mm-hmm. or 2019 LSU with Joey Burrow? Oh, it's, it's got to be 2012 with Johnny Manziel. It's got to be. Um, Johnny Manziel is going to wind up being one of the most compelling figures of the last yeah. 20 or 25 years when it's all said and done. And, Johnny, you and I, if I'm not mistaken, I know you and I were on the sidelines for the first game of Johnny's follow-up season yeah, with the Heisman. 13, you, yeah. you, you and I did a we, we did a preview show from yeah. I think from the Dixie Chicken or somewhere there yeah, exactly. that fall in 2013, and so we were on the sideline for that that game against uh, Alabama to open the season. But I think if I'm not mistaken, you and I were on the sideline the year before the beginning of Johnny's Heisman year against Florida. 
And I remember watching that. Yeah, I remember watching that game. They lost that game. It was a fairly low-scoring game, like 17-13, 17-10, something like that. And I remember watching that, and I remember just – all I knew Johnny Manziel – by then was he was the kid who got arrested in the summer before for you know, getting into a fight or whatever. I just remember his shirtless mug shot. Yeah. I'm like, okay, yeah. this kid. Typical Johnny. Yeah. And then, and they lost that game. And then for them, it, you know, then they were kind of off the grid for me just in terms of watching every weekend yeah. or whatever. But I'd see all these tweets from Aggies during games of Johnny football, Johnny football, Johnny football. I'd be like, all right, I watched this kid play against Florida. He's not all that. And then you start flipping him on and you probably watched every snap because, because, because yeah. you're really Johnny football. But, uh, but it, for me, I was just kind of watching the Aggies casually. And it was, it was before the Alabama game where he really, you know, he started to pick up steam. But, I, Johnny, you'd have to let me relive not only that season, but also the aftermath, you know, with this thing from the Manning Passing Academy, yeah. the autograph. <laughs> like, you, gotta, you have yeah. to literally you've – gotta, you, you've got to let me live the full calendar year yeah. from, from training camp, you know, from, from – from SEC, how about this? From SEC Media Days before 2012 through yeah. SEC Media Day of 2013, because oh, S- remember, you remember SEC Media Day of 2013 with Johnny Manziel? It was a zoo. Johnny, an absolute zoo. Yeah, yeah. So, anyways, long answer, but 2012 Johnny no. football for sure. Dude, I, I'm I'm right there with you. When I I went to that 2012 Florida game, it was funny. You and I, and Travis Rogers in 2010. Yeah. We went to the A&M Oklahoma game. Right. And we were down on the we were down on the sidelines. And so we went to go find JR cuz we at that point had gotten to know JR. So yeah. we went and found JR. We're talking to JR and so we we got split up a little bit at one point. And so I was over on the A&M sideline and I was talking to Billy Lucci, our buddy from Texas. Right. And I'm sitting there talking to him and there's a line of letter jackets in front of me, guys being recruited by A&M. And he points at the shortest guy in the line. And he says, Johnny, you see that guy? And I'm like, Manziel? He goes, yeah, Johnny Manziel. He goes, that's the guy. I was like, that's the guy to do what? Carry the water? He goes, I'm telling you, Johnny Manziel, that wow. guy's going to be a star. And I was like, ah, get out of here. And I'm telling you, it caught my attention from that standpoint. Like, you know, Luch could hype things a little bit more, sure. especially Aggie things. But he's like, I'm yeah. telling you that's our guy in a couple of years. And I was like, nah, all right. But I watched him that night. It was so interesting because all the recruits, and I just kind of watched, they all sort of gravitated towards him. Like he didn't yeah. go down the line checking everybody. They all came to him. And I was like, yeah. he must be a badass. Like he's 5'9 if he's lucky. But they're all going over to him. What is it that he has? And then that Florida game, I'm just like, oh, I get it now. Oh, I, yeah. I totally get it. And then he just, of course, blew up and you know, blew became up. the phenomenon with the, that was Johnny football. That was, that was yep. incredible. All right, here we yep. go. Okay. More destructive to Notre Dame, Reggie Bush or Charlie Weiss? Who? wow. Uh, I'm going to say, okay. Boy, I was going to say Reggie Bush because the Bush-Push game is what kind of – on, ironically, Charlie Weiss wound up getting a contract extension after losing after to USC. Yeah. So my logic, my logic doesn't hold up because if you know Bush got in the end zone, beat Notre Dame, and Bush doesn't get into the end zone, hell no, who knows? They may have given him a twenty-year extension to Charlie Weiss <laughs> instead of just a ten-year extension. Oh um, God. 
But, to, boy, that's an interesting one, Johnny, because, look, at the end of the day, getting out from underneath Charlie Weiss was just about money more than yeah. anything else. You know, yeah. there's no salary cap in college football. It's not like it's not like, you know, they gave out a contract to Charlie Weiss and this prevents them from going and getting another coach. And it led to Brian Kelly, who hasn't won a national championship. But I think given the environment in today in college football, I think Charlie, I think uh, Brian Kelly's met expectations for me, even though he hasn't won a national championship. They win double-digit games. They go to big bowl games every year. I've settled in at a place in my life where I'm kind of cool if that's Notre Dame's lot in life. And if they end up winning a championship along the way, then then so be it. Reggie Bush is interesting because that – what direction does the program go – if Reggie Bush, if the Bush push doesn't occur, if they win that game, they didn't lose any more games that year in the right. regular season. If they win that game, do they go on? Do they, you know, do they have some momentum then? Do they win a national championship? Now, I'm not, I'm not mistaken, they went to the Fiesta Bowl and they got worked pretty good by Ohio State yeah. that year in the Fiesta Bowl. But could, so maybe they they have beaten, could they have beaten Vince Young's Texas team in the Rose Bowl? Because that's yeah, where they would have gone. It is. That would have been it, amazing. It, it, it would have been, boy, can you imagine the, the, uh, oh. the pomp and circumstance of that game, Notre Dame and, and UT for the oh national championship God. in the Rose Bowl? I'm going to say Reggie Bush. You know, Charlie, okay. Weiss, Char- Charlie Weiss actually brought in some good players that Brian Kelly turned into. You know, Charlie Weiss recruited. He brought in some talent. He just he had a yep. horrible he, – he and the staff just couldn't develop anything there. And, and then it, once it starts going sideways on a head coach, it starts going sideways on a head coach. So I'm going to say Reggie Bush. All right, that might answer this question. You can change one play any way you want it in college football history. Yeah. The aforementioned Bush push or David Gordon's field goal for Boston College in 1993. It's not even close for me. And as you know, I've got a personal <laughs> interest in this one because my brother was the kicker for yeah. Notre Dame that year. And I'll, I'll actually go to a play before the David Gordon oh. field goal. I'm getting chills just talking about this right now. And then, like, you bring I don't up even Versich? Yes. Okay. Pete Bursich had an interception. I mean, for those who don't know, because I mean, there's people listening to this podcast who weren't even alive for this game, but Notre Dame beat Florida State in the game of the century in 1993. They were big underdogs at home. I was at that game. My brother was the starting kicker for Notre Dame that year. And they beat Florida State. All they had to do was beat Boston College, who was ranked like 17th in the country. Good team, not a great team. Um, all they had to do was beat BC at home the next week, and they would have gone on to the Orange Bowl and played Nebraska for the national yep. championship and probably would have beaten Nebraska. And, and won a ring. That was an incredibly talented Notre Dame team. Um, instead, they actually have to stage a monumental comeback against Boston College in the fourth quarter just yep. to get back in the game. They were down by three touchdowns in that game. Notre Dame finally scores towards the end of the game. My brother kicks the extra point to put him up 39-38. And Boston College gets the ball on a kickoff. Notre Dame gets an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty from Jeremy Sample was the kid's name. Oh. Moved the ball to like the 45-yard line starting field position. And then, yeah, Glenn Foley was the quarterback for Boston College. And he hits Peter Bursich, inside linebacker, who I think is the color analyst for the Vikings now. Yes, he is. was for a while. Is, is he still? Yep. Okay. Still he is. played for the Vikings. He was a special teamer for the Vikings for a number of years. Hits him right in the hands for an interception. I mean, hits him right in the, in the yep. square in the face mask. And he drops the interception. And then I think the feeling in the stadium once that happened was, uh-oh, you know, yeah. here we go. Yep. And they set up David Gordon, the kicker for Boston College, for a field goal, which knuckles through. I mean, it was <laughs> ugliest-looking 40-yard field goal. 
Yeah. It was it was crazy. And I like I mean not I don't know I mean it, I don't even know if I've told you this, Johnny, but my brother Kevin and David Gordon, the two kickers in that game, they played soccer against yeah. each other yeah, from the time they, they were did. seven yeah. years old. Oh my god. They, we lived in one town, David Gordon lived in the next town over. And those were the two rival travel soccer teams. They played each other. We had pictures of them playing against each other when they were eight years old oh as little kids. And they were the two kickers in one of the most memorable college football games ever. David, David Gordon's dad, owner of the Hartford Whalers for like six years. I did not know that. His dad I did was not a, know that. His dad was a contractor in Connecticut. He was a home builder. And he bought the Hartford Whalers from Howard Baldwin. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Oh, yeah, I, it was awesome until he traded well, Ron Francis, the bastard. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, I want to turn this, into a, turn this into a hockey podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. I think I know the answer to this one, too, but I'm going to ask anyways. Right. Bigger pet peeve, a bad beat via backdoor cover or <laughs> defensive back celebrating after an incompletion they had nothing to do with. You know, the famous wave the arms when the ball's done. Yeah, 10 yards yeah. Over the, over the wide receiver's head? Yup, Johnny, boy. When you said bad beat on a backdoor cover, I was, I was like, that, man, whatever the, whatever the thing is on the other side of or, better be pretty bad to beat, to beat that. As you know, I like my money. Yeah. But I'm going to say the celebrating defensive back with the tackle or the incomplete, the, the, insig- you know, the, the incomplete yeah. when they really like interfered with the guy, like, like Marlon Humphrey giving the incomplete sign after yeah. he mugged DeAndre Hopkins in the end zone last year. It was one of the funniest things ever. Um, oh. Like, dude, that was a pass interference and you just got lucky. Uh, oh. Yes, overly celebratory defensive players who yes. are making plays nine yards down the field. Because you know what? A bad beat, that's just life. That's going to yeah. happen in gambling. I can live with that because chances are you're going to have some that that go your way like that. But that's yeah. just the celebrating defensive players, just a complete lack of self-awareness. That's got to go. Uh, yeah, gotta okay. Go. You and I started radio in 2007. Mm-hmm. That 2007 college football season was unbelievable. Yeah. In fact, you and I, week one, watched an amazing upset. You and I, you in particular – did one of the greatest radio segments ever for this other one. So I ask you, favorite 2007 moment, App State beating Michigan or Stanford upsetting USC? Wow. Kabika Pittman. I remember it. 40-point 40 40 underdogs at Stanford. I think we were watching that at Nick's place. Yep. I remember we it was like a fade in the back corner of the end zone that, that, that Stanford – I forget who caught it. But, uh, you know, it's funny. I, the guy that was covering the receiver – I mean, the receiver caught a big pass on that was Richard Sherman. I can't remember the name of the Stanford uh, receiver caught it. The guy covering him was Mozique McCurtis, who is now a national scout for the Texans, who I've gotten to know. Really? Uh, and is the night? I mean, is the greatest guy ever. I mean, I never asked him about that because he's such a nice guy. Um, but yeah, I've gotten to know him, and I'll never forget that name. But he was the guy covering the Stanford. That's funny. Caught that pass. I'm going to say the App State one. That was – I think we were watching that one at Nick's place, too, yeah. back in there. You and I spent a lot of time at that bar back yeah, in the we day, did. man. We ate, we ate a lot of calzones together, you and I. There was a lot yeah. more of each of us to love back then. That App State thing, because it allowed us to play that horrible, horrible App State promotional video song. <laughs> Appalachian hot, hot, is hot, hot, hot. hot. Yeah, that, I, think, I think that's my – I think that's my uh, – yeah. that's my favorite one. I'm, I'm with you. Seeing Michigan lose that way was just – Yeah. It was incredible. Um, okay. Now we get to maybe some easier ones, but just quick hitter ones. Right. Either Kevin McDougal or Tony Rice. Oh, uh, Tony Rice. To- Dude, 
Tony Rice was the man. Yeah. And when I say that, like, he was the man because he won a national championship at Notre Dame. Kids, gather around if you were born after 1988. <laughs> that was the last time Notre Dame won a national championship. But I, I think, Johnny, Tony Rice was the most – forget about big man on campus and quarterback. A, nicest guy ever. Yeah. B, the most popular guy on campus. Wow. And embraced it. He was – Tony Rice – well, I say he was. Like, he's not he, – I mean, he's still alive. Uh, but just – the man, like the yeah. definition of the man. He was the man. All right. Either Rocket or Will. Rahib Ismail or Will Fuller. What am I asking them to do? It's up to you. Okay. It's going to be a nuanced answer. I think if I'm asking them to return a kick, I think it's Rocket Ishmael, maybe over any player in the history of college football, if yeah. I'm asking them nah, to return right. a kick. If I'm asking them, if, if you're asking me wide receiver though, um, then I, I I think it's I think it's Will, Will is just a much more refined is yeah a much more refined wide receiver in every aspect, including hands. I know that people were critical of Will's hands coming into the NFL, but you know Rocket didn't have the greatest hands in the world. But I you know Will tracking footballs yeah. deep in college, you know you know with Deshaun Kaiser throwing him the ball back in college. Will was Will was an incredible college wide receiver rocket was a runner-up for the heisman trophy like if you're asking me just overall it's rocket ishmael just because he like tim brown you know i feel like in my top 20 memories in college forget about just football but just in college tim brown and rocket ishmael probably each have a half dozen of them so it's ishmael overall but i don't want to give it to rocket without acknowledging that will is probably the better wide receiver of those two guys I think about this a lot as I watch games now and I think about players from those eras, our era, you know, growing up, we were in college or we were in high school. And I think what would that guy have done in offenses now? And Rocket's one of those guys I think about a lot and think, what could he have done in one of these spread offenses with a halfway decent quarterback? Not that, not that Tony wasn't, but, they found ways to get him the ball at Notre Dame. Can you imagine what they would have done to find ways to get him the ball now? I mean, it would have been unbelievable. I mean, he would have been, he would have been a faster, more explosive version of LaVisca Chenault, who is now yes. with the Jags played at Colorado. I mean, they would have used him all over the place. He would have been so fun to watch that he would have touched the ball in so many different ways. It would have been incredible. Yeah. It would have been unbelievable. I, I, now, the one thing is now with the kickoff rules, it just to kick it out of the end zone so we wouldn't get to see him return as many kicks as we did back then for sure. But you're right, offensively, I, here's what, this is what puts Rocket over the top for me. I'm glad you brought that up. Is, and I would encourage Texan fans who are interested in who Eric Bieniemy, the player, was, you know, because yeah. I'm sure Bieniemy is a candidate for the head coaching job, is that he played against Notre Dame in those two Orange Bowls yep. back in 89, the 89 and 90 seasons. And if you go find one of those Orange Bowls, it was one Notre Dame won. They won one and lost one. Yep. And probably for Rocket, the more famous one was the one they lost because he returns that punt and Greg Davis gets called for a clip and, and Colorado wins the national championship. But you go back and watch the other one. Ricky Waters was the starting tailback for Notre Dame back then. And I think he got hurt either yeah. in that game or before that game. So they stuck Rocket Ishmael, a tailback in that yeah. game. He wound up winning the most valuable player in the Orange Bowl as a Five foot nine, you know, <laughs> he looks like a scat back, but dude, he was running it like a tailback. I think he had 20 or 25 carries yeah. that day running at his tailback. It was just remarkable. And he was tough. He wasn't just, you know, running the sideline, Super running the sideline, or running a bounce guy. He was a tough, tough guy. I remember, yeah. I remember that, that Orange Bowl distinctly because of that. Like, man, 
He took some shots and he kept going. All right, last yep. one, Shawnee. Okay. Brian Kelly goes to the NFL. Mm-hmm. And both of these guys want the Notre Dame job. Oh, Either Urban Meyer, who has coached in Notre Dame, or Nick Saban. Uh, Urban Meyer. Ur- Urban Meyer, some of it's, you know, some of it's age. You know, I mean, yeah. Nick's pushing 70 now. So, I, you know, I'm, I'm going to want to make sure. I have to ask myself, is this somebody who's going to be here for eight years, ten years? Now, Urban's no lock to be anywhere eight years either, just because exactly. we know he struggled with his health, too. But I think, uh, to me, it would be a really cool maybe finishing chapter for Urban Meyer's story of the head coach to go back to Notre Dame. We all thought that that's who was coming to Notre Dame in 2005 when it wound yeah. up being Charlie Weiss and Urban Meyer went to Florida. He made the right choice, won a yep. couple national championships. I'm just a – Johnny, I'm of the opinion that Urban Meyer is just one of those guys. I mean, and I'll even say it. I, I've said this on my – on Payne and Pendergast. Yeah. Is that I, you know, I'd love to see him consider for the Texans job. You know, yeah. like I think, you know, I, I think Urban's one of those guys that's just, he's going to win anywhere he goes. And in the NFL, you got to have a quarterback and they, you know, the Texans got that guy. They got that yeah. quarterback, but specific to Notre Dame, I'd love to see, I'd love to see uh, Urban, you know, if it's Urban Meyer, or Nick Saban, then I, I, I would, I would pick, uh, I, I would pick Urban Meyer. Okay. Take those two off the table. Yeah. You can have your pick of any. Any coach, Brian Kelly moves on. You have your pick. Don't worry about oh, age. Don't worry about money. Don't worry about anything. You've Ooh. got your pick. You can literally this, – this, this kind of question bothers my son so much because <laughs> I tell him a lot of times we go somewhere and I'm like, dude, you can pick out any one thing in this store. We're in a convenience store. Yeah. Like, dude, you can get munchos. Um, you can get uh, – uh, combos you can get a bag of jelly bellies <laughs> out there you get any one thing and he's like oh it takes half hour to get him out of the damn convenience store so yeah. I ask you, any coach that you want to bring in to replace brian any, kelly any coach anywhere any coach anywhere at any level wow all right okay johnny you know i need to think this one through better because i like the uh, you're asking me off the cuff, and yeah. I've got 150 coaches available to me, so it's impossible for me. This is actually an answer I should have. Like, this is one of those things, like, I should be thinking about all the time. Um, how about this one? This is a good one. I can have any coach. John Harbaugh. John Harbaugh. That's a good one. That's how do you good like one. that one? All I like right. John, John Harbaugh. John Harbaugh, guys, won a Super Bowl at the NFL level. He's perennially successful. I, I think John Harbaugh is a guy who has the flexibility to – whatever type of athlete it is you're recruiting offensively quarterback or whatever, he's shown that he can and, and I know he's got an offensive coordinator Greg yeah. Roman that does that but ultimately the buck stops with him right he's shown an adaptability he's a former special teams coach and I think that that you got a special attention to detail with that type of coach he appreciates the gig that he has he's been a really really good coach and just the storyline of a Harbaugh going and coaching at Notre Dame John Harbaugh, Johnny. That's my answer. John that's Harbaugh. A great, that's a great answer. And at that point, Notre Dame and Michigan would happen, and it would happen every year. <laughs> and it would be must-see yes! must television to see Jim and John going against each other. Oh, my God. I mean, it would yeah. be must-see television. There's no absolute way. Okay, so let's complicate this a little bit more. Now you have to I'm mentally exhausted from thinking of John Harbaugh. You're going to crush me here. I know. Yeah, now you cannot pick a coach from the football realm. 
but you can pick somebody. Doesn't have to be a coach, actually, but a coach more or less probably is the way you want to go. Yeah. But you can pick a coach from any other sport oh, wow. that you would say, that guy. I want that guy to lead, or woman, either way. I want yeah. that person to lead Notre Dame going forward. Brian Kelly's gone. I can't pick any other football coach, but I can pick this coach to lead Notre Dame. Jeff Van Gundy. Oh, that's awesome. It's a great, it's a great answer. That's Jeff a great Van, answer. Jeff Van Gundy. I think Jeff Van Gundy, we know, is a big football fan. He's a huge fan of the Houston Texans. He yeah. knows his football. Yep. I think he knows. I, I think. I think. I think TV has given him a decade to get self-aware enough to know what he doesn't know. I think he would hire a great staff. I think he'd be an incredible ambassador for the school and the sport. He'd be super entertaining, and uh, and I think and I think he he and again attention to detail. He's a super. He's a son of a right. Son of a coach, right? Like yeah. Stan and Jeff, their dad both coached yeah. in upstate New York. So, um, so yeah, Jeff Jeff Van Gundy. That's a good one. Uh, I, I have two options. My first one would have been Coach LeBron James um, <laughs> because, you know, he does coach the Lakers. So that would have been so right. interesting. Here's yeah, my other just one. A, he just won a title as a head coach. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So, you know, he's got one ring as a head coach. Right. Uh, maybe four as a head coach, but who knows. Maybe he's assistant <laughs> coach in Miami. Uh, here's my other one. And this is going to sound strange, but I have a ton of respect for Buzz Williams at Texas A&M. <laughs> And I think Buzz Williams is the kind of guy, because he's taking programs that have been kind of off the beaten path, you know, yeah. Marquette, Virginia Tech, and he's brought them to heights like those places have never been. And I've seen him give speeches and the way he talks and the way he leads and how much he loves his players. Man, Buzz Williams would be, A, one hell of a football coach. Yeah. Uh, and, B, I think, he would, I think he would fit in really well at Notre Dame. I'm curious to see how it goes for him at A&M in basketball. But Buzz Williams, to me, for some reason, that just name that name popped up because he's done incredible things in college basketball that I think he would would then move into college football and do. So I, I've said this a long time. You and I probably talked about this. I think if you coach one sport, you coach any sport. Yo, I, I, I you'll agree. learn I the nuances. You know. Yep. You'll learn, yeah, Johnny. Them, you know. Yeah, it's it's Johnny. It's like sales. I mean, your background's coaching. My background's in sales, and I think the two are very similar in that respect. I used to hire salespeople all the time. Before I got into radio, for those who don't know, I was a salesperson and then a director of sales and a VP of sales for a startup company that, that uh, you know, we went for about 10 years before we sold the company. And I always, that, that was my philosophy in hiring salespeople was always, I don't care what you sold. I just need to know that you can sell. We can yeah. take the day, we, we can take the the information and all that and plug it in and you can then sell the features and benefits. I, I just need to know that you've got the innate stuff, the drive, the intelligence, the ability to be, um, you, you know, the hunger, the ability to, you know, suppress the ego when you need to, but accentuate the ego when you need to. Sales yeah. is an interesting, I think like coaching sales, you got to know when to be humble and you got to know when to be outgoing almost to the point of hubris. Those things are okay. You just got to do them in the right dosage. And I think, it's, I think you're absolutely right. I, I think if you, if you have the things that can't be taught, to me, the sport, for, for your part of the analogy, and the product, in my part of the analogy, those are the teachable things. Yep. And, and surround yourself with really good people. Yeah. That's the yeah. biggest thing. If you hire good people, if you hire good people, that's 90% of it right there. Yep. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. You trust those people. I know yeah. you went into sales when you started your uh, business career and got into radio in your late 30s. It was your best and worst decision you ever made. 
because it was the best because I think it shaped how you approach things now. Yeah. But had you got into sports radio when you were 20 or so, I'm convinced we wouldn't have given a you know what about Jim Rome or anybody else. We'd have been listening to you. You're the best I know in this business, brother. Oh, uh, you're the uh, man. You're a great friend, family. You're awesome, man. I really appreciate your time, brother. And uh, hopefully we'll get a chance to talk some college football some other time, my friend. Thank you. Johnny, anytime. You know, I love you too. I love you too. And uh, I'm excited we got to do this, man. Looking forward to doing it again down the road. Looking forward to talking to you on the pregame show on Sunday before uh, a big win, hopefully. I'm telling you, that was an absolute blast. Absolute blast. I mean, just taking a look back at what the two of us have done together, talking some college football. Uh, Sean's the best. Hopefully you guys enjoyed that. That's Sean Pendergast, Sports Radio 610. You hear him on our pre- and post-game shows for the Texans. He does an amazing job. He's an amazing writer. Uh, he's everything you would want in a sports entertainment package. He can do it all, uh, and he is absolutely fantastic. That was as fun uh, as anything I've done lately. That was just that was just incredible. Now, before we get to our keys to the game, brought to you by McGrath Pest Control. Take a minute for our friends at the Texas Bowl to let you know the Texas Bowl and Gridiron Legends are joining together with the Houston Texans Foundation to bring you the Gridiron Legends online auction benefiting the Del Pelchin Children's Center. Bid on items like a Joe Burrow signed football, exclusive fly fishing trip, and a round of golf with the University of Texas football legends Vince Young and Selvin Young. Place your bids today at texasbowl.givesmart.com to help support the Pelchin kids. That's texasbowl.givesmart.com and help support the Pelchin's kids. Okay, let's get into our keys to the game brought to you by McGrath Pest Control. I want you to check out my man Scott McGrath. He is awesome. I told you earlier, he came out here to Galveston where I'm staying to help us with a mosquito problem and he's probably two and a half hours away and he did that. So I want you to go check it out. This week, it's Alabama versus Georgia. So let's get into it. Let's look at this from four different angles. We'll talk about Georgia's offense versus Alabama's defense, and then Alabama's offense versus Georgia's defense. So let's start with the Georgia offense led by Stetson Bennett at quarterback. Has done a really nice job. They put up 44 points last week against Tennessee at home. They throttled Auburn the week before that. And in the second half, when Bennett took over against Arkansas, he really got them to a different level. He has just made the throws that he needs to make. But I think the big key for Georgia is being able to maintain against Alabama's interior defensive guys. I think if Alabama has got, uh, not an advantage, but there's one area where I know I have to dominate to beat Alabama, it's to really control that interior. If I control the interior, then my back, Zamir White, uh, White Cook, um, and whoever else I've got to hand the ball to, those guys are going to be able to find seams in the defense if Georgia's front can control them. And I've, after losing a number of guys up front off that Georgia offensive line, I was worried about what they would have coming back this year. But Trey Hill's done a pretty good job. Uh, having Ben Cleveland in there, I think, is solidifies that group. But they got to control the interior. The other thing I'd like to see them do, and I don't know how much Alabama will allow this but when Georgia wants to throw the football, they've got to be able to isolate Bruce Pickens. I'm excuse me, George Pickens. Bruce Pickens. Good grief. George Pickens, wide receiver. He may do some dumb stuff on the sideline, spraying water on an opponent, but you want the ball in his hands. So how 
and how many different ways can you get the ball in his hands and how can you isolate him such that Alabama can only put one guy on him because there isn't anybody in Alabama secondary to cover him one-on-one. But there are ways where you can utilize him in a way, whether he's lined up in a slot, whether he's used in motion, where you can get him matched up on a guy, and then Georgia's got a distinct advantage with George Pickens. So they got to find a way to isolate Pickens on the Alabama secondary, and then he's just going to eat. It may not be Elijah Moore style from Ole Miss, who had a tremendous ball game against Alabama. It might even be better because George Pickens is an otherworldly athlete. But there might, they might do it differently. You know, Moore's a little bit more slot receiver. Pickens is a little bit more perimeter guy. But I think this is one of those weekends where Georgia's got to be able to move him around and find a matchup to get him one-on-one. And then when he goes one-on-one, forget it. Now, Karis Jackson's done a really nice job, but I don't think Alabama fears him. You fear George Pickens. So you got to try and isolate him on whoever Alabama's going to try and cover him with. And maybe it's Patrick Sertain, and that's going to be a great one-on-one matchup. I'll roll the dice right now with Pickens. Sertain's going to be one heck of an NFL player. I'll take Pickens over Sertain any day of the week right now. All right, on the Alabama defense, number one, simple, tackle somebody. You've got to be in good position to tackle somebody. Then you've got to execute the tackle. It sounds simple. It isn't. And Alabama's going against an offense that's not going to make it easy. White and Cook in the backfield, Pickens at receiver, Jackson at receiver. There are a lot of different weapons in that offense. None of them are easy to tackle, but they've got to be able to tackle someone. And secondly, they've got to communicate in the secondary. It feels like there are breakdowns at times in that secondary, and you're going, man, why guys get it together? You got Patrick Sertain back there, who is now, in, I think, his third year starting. Josh Job's back there. He's has experience. They've got to get all on the same page. They all have to get on the same page and communicate because that's the only way they're going to limit that passing game between Pickens and Jackson, for sure. Flip over the other side of the ball. Let's talk about Alabama's offense. Number one, this RPO game has got to be on point. Going against Georgia, the last thing you want to be is second and 10, third and 14. You do not want to be in that situation. So the RPO game's got to be on point. And the reason I say that is the RPO game is one of the easier ways to go steal five yards. You can see last week, Mac Jones against the Ole Miss. They run an RPO. They slide that handoff in there, and you're like, oh, he's going he's gonna to run it. Najee Harris, here he comes. Pulls it out, zips on the sideline to Menchi or to, to Mechie or to Jalen Waddle or to Devontae Smith. They pick up five yards, second and five. And away you go. That's where you want to be. So the RPO game's got to be on point because I think that's a way that you can pick up five to seven yards. One of my favorite games of all time is 2012 A&M versus Alabama. And in that game, Johnny did a really good job of taking that stick draw and hitting Ryan Swope, taking seven yards. Get a little stick up, get a couple more yards. Now you're second and three. Well, now you got everything in front of you. But Alabama cannot get in long down a distance against this defense. They just can't do it. Secondly, if I'm Georgia's defense, I'm taking away Jalen Waddle. Now, that's maybe a little bit harder than to take away Devontae Smith, but I think taking away Waddle is a big thing. But Alabama can move Waddle around and do some different things with him, line him up in the backfield, line him up in the slot, out wide as a perimeter receiver. It's kind of hard to take him away, but Georgia can do everything possible. I guarantee it's what Kirby Smart is doing this week is finding ways to take away number 17. That's going to open things up for number six. I think this is going to be a huge ball game for Devontae Smith. He's going against Campbell or Stokes. Either one is a perimeter corner. Very, very good. Very physical. Devontae's not a big guy. But if he's going one-on-one, those are matchups that he's got to win, and I think he can. So if they're going to take away 17, 
you got to go to number six. I think it's a game for Devontae Smith to have himself a big afternoon. For Georgia's defense, talk about Jalen Waddle. Waddle takes that Alabama offense up two notches. Georgia must take him away. Whether it's doubling him from other sides of the field, whether it's cover one, double 17, where he lines up, where he goes, you got to take away 17. Roll the dice with number six, which is my second key. Put your best guy on six. If you think it's Campbell, put Tyson Campbell on him. If it's Stokes, put Eric Stokes on him. Whoever your best guy is, put him on six because that's going to be your one-on-one matchup. Everything else, and it's kind of like a, it's like a uh, triangle and two in basketball. You take those two guys and put them on the two best guys on the other squad and let the other three guys play zone. Except here, you're going to take two guys and you're going to have them on Jalen Waddle. Take him completely away as best you possibly can and then let Devontae go one-on-one. You can't cover them both. You can't double them both. So don't. Make sure Waddle doesn't kill you and put your best guy on Devontae Smith. Because I don't think your best guy can cover Waddle. And at that point, with the way Alabama will move him, you might end up with your best guy inside on Waddle. And that may work against you. Because now you got to work through all the chaos and trash. If you're out on Devontae Smith, more likely you're out on the perimeter the whole game. And that's a matchup that you're going to have an opportunity to win. You're not going to win against Waddle, not with one guy. So, double 17 all over the field. But your best guy, number six. All right, those are your keys to the game. Brought to you by... McGrath Pest Control. Okay, SEC this week. Now, we are short a few games because of uh, the COVID, if you will. But there's still some games going on. So, this week's SEC draft matchup is brought to you by my friends at the Texas Bowl. So, as we start looking at these matchups, what's the best one-on-one draft matchup that that we're going to see. What's the best one that we're going to see this weekend? Now, Georgia, Alabama. Patrick Sertain of Alabama going against George Pickens of of Georgia. To me, that's the best one-on-one all week long. I think that's a great matchup. Those two guys are going to the NFL, and they're going to be stars. They're first-rounders, no question about it. Pickens, he's got some immaturity issues, but Sertain's going to be a top-five pick at 6'2", 202, they don't make corners like that. He's going to come into the league and be a star. And I think George Pickens is as well. Those two are going to be one-on-one for a lot of the game. That's going to be one heck of a draft matchup. Now, Sertain is eligible for this year. Pickens not till the next year. But from a draft perspective, you're talking about two of the absolute best players in this conference going one-on-one. So to me, that's the SEC draft matchup of the week brought to you by the Texas Bowl. Let's do the Big 12. Let's hop over to the Big 12. Again, the Big 12 in a situation where COVID has taken away some uh, of the big games this week. Oklahoma State will not play Baylor this week. That was going to be a big-time game. Big-time game with some great matchups. Terrell Bernard, linebacker for Baylor, versus Chew Hubbard and L.D. Brown from Oklahoma State. That was going to be a tremendous, tremendous matchup. We're not going to get that this week, and that's unfortunate. Baylor dealing with the COVID, and so you're not, we're not going to be able to have uh, that matchup. So the only game that we have going in the Big 12, if my math is correct here, is, that, is this the only one, Kansas versus West Virginia? 
Is that the only one? I think that's the only Big 12 game going. Yeah, it's going to be the big, big noon kickoff. So let's do this. Kansas running back, Puka Williams Jr., smaller guy, but quick. I'm talking jump cut, can do everything, pretty good vision. Uh, I think that Puka Williams is going to be a handful for anybody. But that guy's going to have to run the football against Darius Stills, one of the better interior players in the country. Darius Stills at West Virginia is an absolute dude. Now, he's not he's not made like a lot of the defensive tackles and interior linemen in the NFL. But we're seeing more built like him. Darius Stills at 6'1", 282. He started for the last two years. Started last year. I think he was first team all Big 12. But He's the kind of guy with his quickness and his leverage being only 6'1". He oftentimes is going to be able to make it difficult for blockers to get to him, get up the field, make some plays. But Puka Williams is quick. Puka is the kind of player that can make you miss in space, catches the ball out of the backfield. He's a guy that's got third down back to start in the NFL that can move into a full-time role. Not the biggest guy in the world, but 5'9", 5'10", but a buck 75, but incredibly productive. Incredibly productive. And for a guy that size, he's kind of tough to tackle. 5'10", 170, make you miss in space. Say Darius Stills, defensive tackle for West Virginia going against lightning quick Puka Williams Jr. of the Kansas Jayhawks. That's your Big 12 draft matchup of the week brought to you by the Texas We got one last thing to do on the podcast tonight, and that is let's go straight up and against the spread. In the ACC this weekend, not much going on in the Big 12. Like I said, Kansas taking on West Virginia. Other games have been postponed or changed, so not too much going on in the Big 12. So it had to be Kansas and West Virginia because that's really all that we have. So let's go to the ACC and take a look at the slate of games in the ACC this weekend. It looks like we've got a full slate. So let's fire through. At 11 o'clock Central Time, Clemson's going to Georgia Tech. Clemson's favored by 27 and a half. It's a lot of points. Georgia Tech's playing some good football behind Jeff Sims at quarterback. The true freshman from Sandalwood High School in Jacksonville is just too rich for Georgia Tech. I think Clemson wins this by four touchdowns or more. So go with Clemson. Travis Etienne and Trevor Lawrence and Monty Rogers getting it done by more than 28. So we're going Clemson to win and to cover. Pittsburgh is 3-2. and two. They go face Miami this weekend. Down in Miami. Miami just got shellacked at Clemson. But that 13.5 feels a little rich to me. I think Miami does win this game behind Derrick King. But I think Pittsburgh, with that pass rush, that front, Weaver, Jones, guys up front, that secondary with Hamlin and Ford, I'm going with Pittsburgh to get inside the 13.5 but I'm going to give Miami the win. This feels like it could be about a 10-pointer, 7-10-pointer for Miami. That's definitely under 13.5. So go Miami to win. Pittsburgh to get that cover down at Hard Rock Stadium. Liberty is taking on Syracuse and Liberty. Led by head coach Hugh Freeze is a 3.5-point favorite. Syracuse, Andre Sisco out for the year. They're all American safety. Things have not gone well this year for Syracuse. But I think the defense has played all right at times. That, I think, might be enough. So let's go with, at home, FCS Syracuse. Ah, Liberty's in FCS now, or FBS, I should say. So let's go with Syracuse to get the win and the cover. I know better than to do that, but 
home dog to Liberty. I just can't, I, I can't do it. I got to go Syracuse to win, Syracuse to cover. We talked to Shawnee earlier. I knew he was going to tell me Notre Dame would win. But Louisville goes to Notre Dame. Blake Cunningham doing some good things at times and not so good things at times. They went to Georgia Tech last week. They get beat by the Yellow Jackets. They go on the road again to take on Notre Dame. I think Notre Dame houses them. Notre Dame will stand defeated, and they'll win by more than 17. Notre Dame with the win and the cover. Duke goes to NC State. I think Duke has played well at times, but, man, they've played some tough opponents. They lost a close one to Notre Dame early. They had Virginia Tech close. I think it was 38-31 in that game. I think NC State playing at home is going to get this win, kind of flying under the radar. 3-1 and one right now. They beat Pitt on a last-second touchdown at Pitt. I think NC State wins this by touchdown. The spread's 4.5, so NC State to win and to cover. Virginia goes to Wake Forest, both teams 1-2. and two. This is one of those games that I think the winner starts to go on a little bit of a, a I don't say a run, but they start to play some better football. And you know what? I'm going with my man, Sam Hartman. My daughter's listening to this podcast right now. I know she would be really mad at me if I didn't pick my man, Sam. So let's go with Wake Forest playing at home to win, obviously covering at 2.5 as West Virginia is favored. Who would have thought this was coming? The number five ranked North Carolina Tar Heels go to Florida State. Florida State one and three. UNC's an almost two touchdown favorite. And that's about right for North Carolina to win. But I think Florida State's going to rise up, play some decent football. I think they'll harass Sam Howell. I know Sam had originally committed to Florida State. I think he presses a little bit. And that gives Florida State the window to keep this at least closer than 13 and a half. Let's go with Tar Heels, the win to get the 4-0, but Florida State to get the cover to get inside at 13 and a half. And then what I think is going to be a really good ball game at night at Virginia Tech, 3-1 Boston College taking on 2-1 Virginia Tech. Virginia Tech, 23rd in the country. Virginia Tech's favored by 12. I don't see that at all. I think Boston College gets inside the 12. I think Tyler Vrabel, Zion Johnson up front for Boston College make it tough for that Virginia Tech front at least a little bit. Phil Jerkovic was tremendous last week against Pitt. I think he has a pretty good ball game against Virginia Tech. I'm going with Boston College to not only cover that 12. I can't do it. Boston College will get inside that 12, but VT, Virginia Tech will end up getting the win in that one. So there you go. We had a jam-packed podcast. Hopefully you enjoyed it. Did some keys to the game. Did some news of the week. Did some predictions. And then my man Sean Pandergast just broke it down like nobody else can. He was fantastic. Hopefully you guys love it. Hit that subscribe button. Go to footballtakeover.com. Read the articles. I would love to do more videos, but you know I got a face for radio as they say. But we'll see what we can get up there. Appreciate you guys for being here. Thank you so much.